the Hebrew Scriptures have these Old Testament laws that some are very, very old, some are very, very weird. Should we keep them, and what special insights do we have for today? Find out in this episode of Inverse. Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. Hey, welcome, friends. We're so glad you decided to set some time apart to spend time with us. And we are so privileged for your presence to be with our conversation here today. We're looking at the concepts of justice and mercy throughout the Bible. And last week, we looked at the book of... Well, not really the book of one portion of the book of, 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 of Genesis. Genesis. And we're not going to look at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And there are some on one episode. Yeah, there's enough time. Oh, no. And uh, we're going to have a word of prayer to the Lord give us efficiency. <laughs> and so prayer will be given by Israel Ramos uh, for the Old Testament. And we'll get into the, into All right, the, let's pray. the Bible after yeah. that. Thank you, Father, for this time that we have together and for this privilege that we have to study your word. Be with us, please, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Our starting verse is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And Siku, can you read that for us? Exodus chapter 3, verse 16, verse 17, which is after verse 15. Okay. And before <laughs> verse 18. All right. Okay, we're just waiting for Israel to get to there because <laughs> he doesn't know his Exodus. His Exodus. Well, <laughs> just start reading. It follows the numeral, numeral order of, of, of life. So, uh, okay. Go ahead. Okay, I'm going to start. All right. Good luck, Israel. Thank you. Appreciate it. Verse 16. We don't believe in luck, okay. but go ahead. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Yep, we're going to read a lot of other verses in the Old Testament. But Kelly, um, this particular verse really brings out something, a theme throughout the Mm -hmm. Old Testament. And can you help us out? What's going on there? Yeah, so, well, first, this is God speaking to Moses, and he's calling Moses to go deliver his people out of Egypt. And Mm -hmm. Moses isn't really keen on that. But anyways, so um, he's telling Moses how to introduce God back to his people. Mm -hmm. And I think... The theme that sticks out to me is the end of verse 16. Verse 16. Um, mm-hmm. So he says, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Mm. Because God, it seems like God has been silent for hundreds of years uh, with their suffering. So it's like, God, does God see? Does God know? Does he have any idea what we're going through? Mm-hmm. But his first introduction before he even says, like, I'm going to deliver you. I'll take you to a better place. His first thing is, I know what you're going through. I've seen you and I've visited you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This goes, this goes right, this builds right on uh, last, last week's or last so, episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in creation, in the creation narrative, we have from the very, very beginning of time, you know, God said and God saw. So you have this, this, this picture of God from the very beginning, this introduction of God. If you read the Bible from Genesis to, to Revelation, you have an introduction of God as a God who speaks, a God who sees, a God who intervenes. I mean, just look at all the different mm-hmm. actions that God is doing in Genesis chapter 1. And, you, and, 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 and I think that the reason why that's critical for us is because from the very beginning of time, God sets the foundation of, I am a God who sees, I am a God who speaks, I am a God who uh, intervenes, I am a God who is dependable. 
all these things, it's like before you even get to exodus, before you get to slavery, before you get to problems, this is the kind of God who I am in my nature. Mm. And so God answers the problem even before the problem exists. And mm. that's the foundation that Genesis chapter 1 provides us for Exodus chapter 3. Mm-hmm. And okay, Siku? I think, I think that um, I'm putting myself in the shoes of the Israelites hearing this message. I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Um, there's something about feeling that somebody understands what you're going through, mm-hmm. um, but not just understands, but somebody has, has a, a comprehension of the breadth of the situation, of the depth of the situation. Um, there's something in our humanity that, that longs to be understood, that longs to, 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 to be recognized um, for our situation to be seen. And the fact that God comes to Israel in this way and says, I have seen, um, he's speaking to their hearts. Mm-hmm. He's saying that I understand what you're going through. And even though it may seem, you know, in, in the darkness of your situation, sometimes you may feel alone. You may feel like nobody understands. But I understand and I have seen what you're going through. Um, like in philosophy, they have this concept of solipsism where they, the idea is that nobody, solipsism, solipsism okay. where like every, every human being is an island to themselves and no one can ever really understand what you're going through. And, you know, when you stop and you, if you think too deeply about it, it can be kind of depressing, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, whatever you're experiencing, no one can actually experience the experience that you're experiencing in the way that you're experiencing it because nobody is you. And yet God comes to us and in an intimate way, he says, I am one who can understand. I'm mm-hmm. one who has comprehension of the situation that you're in, in a way that nobody else can. Mm-hmm. And this is what God says to Israel. Mm-hmm. And not just, not just that, but also the words that, that God uses here, he says, I have seen mm-hmm. and I have said. In other words, this what I have seen and what I have said, this is a journey that we've been on. It's not I am now visiting you and I am now speaking to you, but I have been with you through this process. I've been there already. And this is important to understand in our in our experience with God. And then in verse uh, 16, latter part, it says, surely, it says, surely, I have surely visited you. Mm-hmm. In other words, there is there is no doubt that God has been with his people is what he's trying to say. And this is important because the presence of God or God's experience with us, the fact that my experience can intersect with God's experience, or I should say the opposite way, the fact that God's experience can intersect with my experience, it's crucial when you're going through difficult and challenging times. Mm-hmm. And it's crucial when you're going through some of the darkest moments of your life. God has been through us with those moments, and not only that, but it says, I have said in other words, I have already spoken. I have already provided a solution for your problem and your challenge. And here, why does God say that? There's different reasons why God would speak and, and would say, I have already said. Mm-hmm. Sometimes this can be interpreted to mean that God is not listening and he already says. You know, it's like before you have a problem, I already have the solution. But, but this is not the experience that God is, is, uh, is speaking of here. What he is speaking of here is the fact that he has already had a solution for our problem, which the intended, re- the intended result with that is that there's no need to fear. Mm. It eliminates the fear. God already has a solution. He already knows our problem. And because of these two things, then there's no need to fear for what is in the future. And this is the foundation. This this, this picture that's emerging from this sex is that God is such a relational entity that because the Israelites are in trouble, God can say, hey, I've got this thing covered or I'll I'll solve this for you. He doesn't come from that angle right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd like to bring your attention to verse 7. 
uh, where it's kind of a preamble to this, this passage we just read. But verse 7 of Exodus 3, the Bible says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. There's this dual element of seeing and hearing. Uh, if we had time, time does not allow. Uh, for if every time in the Bible where God says, I see you, and that's kind of a cultural meme today, you know, I see you. God says, I see you and I hear you. Mm-hmm. And that foundation is is laid first. Yeah. Um, you see, all the times in, in, the, in the Old Testament, I'm thinking of Hagar or even Leah, the older sister, in their times of injustice. Mm-hmm. They're saying, Lord, do you see me? And then like, I know now that you have heard me. Mm-hmm. Or where Leah, when she had her firstborn son, she says, Reuben, which means, see, a son. And her secondborn, Shimeon, like, you have heard me. There's this kind of like seeing and hearing thing. And such a relational God that God doesn't say, it's, maybe it's kind of a male thing for me. And, 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 and in my marriage, I'm more of the female and my wife is more the male. But I, I want to be heard and I want to be, be seen. I want, I want to stop. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want that to be laid first. And when my wife is like, let's just solve the problem and move on. And I think a lot of guys out there would identify with that. And a lot of ladies would identify with what I'm saying. But like God is God, is God both. We see both things. And that's yeah. one, my takeaway yeah. for, from your And then because, because he sees and because he hears, he knows. Mm. And that's portrayed and in the And then also. because of that, then he starts actioning. I have yeah. said, and he starts moving mm. things around. Here the, the I, just, Kelly. I just want to say, you know, we, when we think about a relational God, a lot of times we think of the New Testament. We think of Jesus, who was, mm-hmm. you know, this manifestation, revelation of God. And, you know... When we think of God being with us, we'll think Matthew 28, Lo, I'm with you always. But I loved, you know, Israel pointing out that all the way from Genesis, God is a God who sees. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a God who, who interacts and relates with his creation. So that the Jesus that you see revealed in the New Testament is the same Jesus that is the same God that's been there throughout the Old Testament. And explicitly so, God who sees and who mm-hmm. hears mm-hmm. and understands and cares mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. our situations. Kelly? Yeah, moving on to that he goes into action as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Because I think it is good to be heard and understood, but like you share and someone's like, wow, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else want to say? And that's just not very satisfying. But he immediately goes from in verse 17 of chapter 3. 317. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt mm-hmm. to the land of all these ites, <laughs> to a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's not even just, and I'll fix it. But he says, like, I will deliver you and I'll take you to this place. And this is what this place is like. And me as the a planner that I am, mm. I like how explicit he is in his plan for his people. Like, mm. not only will you not stay there, but I'll take you to a better place. This is what the better place is like. This is where it is geographically. Mm-hmm. And this is where it is quality-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very specific. You know, you said all the ites. Where the Canaanites are, where the Hittites are, the Amorites, like the Parasites, map, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. <laughs> and you think, like, with such a, a suffering people. You're like, hey, I'll take you to a really good... No, I'll take you exactly to this place place where these people and these people and these people and these people are living that place it's kind of a it's very specific yeah very specific well it it talks about god is able to back up what he's going to do you know it's like when you're playing in in the u.s you have this game where you play horse you get the basketball and you have to shoot it and you have to call ahead of time the shot that you're going to make and if you don't make it then you don't get the you know you don't get the point or whatever and you know it takes a lot of skill and courage and and understanding of who you are for you to be able to say i'm going to shoot the ball from here it's going to hit the backboard first before it goes into the hoop Mm -hmm. now you know a guy can really play basketball a girl can play basketball if they can do that and here god is saying the the land i'm not just going to take you to this wonderful awesome uh, fairy tale land 
I'm going to take you to the land that is owned by this person, by that people, by this people, by that people. Mm -hmm. It flows with milk and honey. This is how it looks. And I'm telling you all of that because I have confidence in what I'm able to do. I'm going to do exactly mm -hmm. what I say I'm going to do. You can write that down. You can take it to the bank and you can cash it. Take and it to the bank. I don't think I've ever been too encouraged by a basketball analogy. It's weird. It's a weird no, feeling. But it, it brings a lot of confidence <laughs> when somebody speaks with that kind of confidence. Like yeah. it, it's yeah. very comforting for you who is going through the situation. Like for I, I know for me. When when my uh, then boyfriend was you know trying to convince me to no then friend was trying to convince me to get into a relationship to be exclusively seeing one another when to you get started married. Dating. Uh -huh. yes. when you started dating Archie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. I just want to make sure it was Archie. <laughs> yes, the one who's not my husband. <laughs> okay. Really. So when Archie was well, yeah, going to be your boyfriend. He laid out okay. a plan. He mm. like he had a strategy. He's like uh -huh. you know. I, I I like you, and if you like me well enough, then let's begin talking about how we're going to move forward. Uh -huh. And in six months' time, I'm going to be going to California. Okay, Siku, hold that thought. Hold that thought. We have to take a commercial break right now in the <laughs> middle of your courtship story. Okay. When we come back, we're going to hear what Archie did to win Siku's heart here on Inverse. <laughs> Has Inverse been a blessing to you? Do you have questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to leave us? Find us on social media by searching Inverse Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. While there, join us, like us, heart us, thumbs up us. Our handle again is Inverse Bible, no spaces. Now, back to the discussion. Hey, welcome back. To talk about a cliffhanger. We are in the middle of Siku sharing her story. And we've established that this gentleman eventually became her husband, but uh, yes. <laughs> what, what, what did he do? Well, what, I was, what I was trying to share in the story is that um, when, when he was proposing courtship, yes. can mm -hmm. I say that? Okay. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was proposing courtship to me. Um, for me, I, the idea of you know, dating, relationship, marriage, etc., for where I was in my life, that was a scary concept for me. You know, mm -hmm. It seemed like a really huge, ominous thing. Um, and but the way that he presented it was he had he had a plan and he had a strategy in mind. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't overbearing. It wasn't like okay, then you're going to do this, etc. But it was comforting because he he was like okay, um, in your culture, if this works out, I'm going to have to bring some cows to your father. If that were the case, how many should I anticipate? so that I can plan ahead and strategize like how long I should work for to save. It, w it was kind so of just like... Just to interject here, I mean, yes. you just lost a whole portion of our viewers okay. there. <laughs> Give us some, some cultural context. How, oh. how do cows come into play with, with we the have, story? I guess it's you, called the dowry a, system. A, I'm from Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. Okay. Yeah, and so if, if he and wanted to marry in Zimbabwe. Me, yes, and, and if, he, if a man wants to marry a woman, <laughs> uh -huh. he needs to bring a gift, yes, a gift to the parents. Okay. Um, in the form of cows, which is often translated then into a dollar amount. Okay, so it's been modernized, contemporary. It can be, yeah. Contemporary context. Sometimes it's a actual so he's not, cows. I'm imagining Archie with like, you know, with cows on the ropes plane. and cows and... <laughs> cows on the plane. <laughs> he would do it. Flying over and it. coming into... Well, he, he had a plan. Yeah, he yeah. Well, <laughs> he, he also asked, like, do I, do I need to go to Zimbabwe and buy cows? Yeah. You know, and I was like, no, you can just transfer the funds. So he had a plan. <laughs> he had a cow. plan. Yes. And for, for, for me going into considering the possibility of entering into a courtship with this man, yes. him having a plan and having it laid out, you know, a strategy, 
was comforting for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought of that when we're talking about God speaking to the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Not only have I seen your situation, I've heard, and I have a plan, but it's a specific plan, and I have a strategy. That is comforting for someone who's going through a situation where it's like, you know, how I'm not sure leaving my comfort zone, etc. But God has a strategy and a plan in mind. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the basis for the, the the laws of the Old Testament. Here, um, uh, we establish the, the the God of relationships. He's seeing where the Israelites are, where they came from, and now he's pointing the direction where they should go. Let's go to Exodus 23. Exodus 23. A couple more chapters down. Exodus 23, verse 9. 23, verse 9. Okay. And Callie, can you read that for us? Yes. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Okay, so this is another theme that we find throughout the Old Testament laws. He'll give you, he gave us the whatever law, and then he concludes where, includes with the words, for you are also a stranger in Egypt, going back to what we just read before yeah. in Exodus chapter 3. So Israel, what's going on there? Why does he give this caveat or this reminder every single day? Because it's easy for us to forget. Mm. A lot of times, you know, we go through journey in life and we forget how we once felt when we were in that situation. Mm -hmm. That's very easy for me. I'm a father of three boys and, you know, they're a reflection of me, right? And so they do stuff that I did when I was a kid. And when they do that, when when I was a child and and I did things and I got punished for them by my, my dad... I said to myself, I will never do this to my child. I will be a loving father, you know. <laughs> I will be a kind dad. And and now my kids go through these things and my immediate response, my re- immediate reaction <laughs> is to be a mean dad like my dad was to me, right? I got to pass on that generation. I had a nice dad. <laughs> but 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 what happens is that I forget how it was to be a child. Yeah. This is the human mm-hmm. the human problem that we forget and 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 it is a sin to forget because when we forget what we felt in that kind of a situation, and then someone else comes, a new stranger comes in, and we yes. mistreat that stranger. We impose the same thing upon them. We, yes, we, yes. We, we impose on them something that we ourselves hated when we were going yes. through that situation. Yes, yes. All this hypocrisy there. Yeah. It's the ultimate, the ultimate yeah. hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah. It also just Gally. reminds me of when I was in high school, one of my best friends, she was uh, talking about a boy and how this boy was not being kind to her to one of our mentors. His name was Jen. And it was talking about it was so terrible. And later on, she looked back and she's like, that was so dumb. Why did I care about that? And she went and talked to Jen about it. She's like, why did you take me seriously? Like, that was really not important. And Jen just said, because it was important to you. Mm-hmm. And it meant a lot to you. And so in the same way, we can look at people, he could look at strangers and be like, oh, they're strangers, they should take care of themselves. Like, we don't need to care about them. But it's like, even if you don't feel their pain, you need to remember that they feel their pain. Mm-hmm. And if you can't feel it yourself, like putting yourself back at that time. Um, and I think there's, there's legitimate pain and there's sometimes people perceive things that it's difficult mm-hmm. and still being merciful and compassionate even if you have forgotten what that experience mm-hmm. is like. Mm-hmm. So the, these, these elements, these principles that you guys are talking, they're kind of baked into the actual laws. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, the background context yeah. that these laws are not given in isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think in the American culture, there's that one individual who lived uh, and keeping all uh, Old Testament laws for one year and yeah. he just kept it. It was just a ridiculous, almost a parody of, of the Old Testament laws. And he wasn't keeping what this, 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 these baked-in principles behind the laws, just the externalities. So yeah. let's actually get into some of these, these laws here. Go to Deuteronomy 14. And Siku, can you read Deuteronomy 14? Um, start from verse 22, okay. but uh, end when you, until you get tired there. 
And we'll also look at Leviticus 25. We'll look at those two and then any other laws that come into uh, our... For, Deuteronomy 14. Okay. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. It says, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. Okay, so for the first half of the show, we looked at how God is merciful, He's seeing and He's hearing, He's a God of justice, He's a God of action, and this is what all built into these laws. So we're not going to look at tithing. I mean, we spent a whole season on stewardship, and you can go back to our archives on our website <laughs> to look at that season, Plug. particularly on those 13 episodes. But we're just taking tithing as, a, as, a, as an example. So bring out those elements. Where, why, why tithing? Why, what's, what's, what's baked into the character of God? What, what do we see in the character of God from this, this law? Israel. The first thing to stress again is that for everything that God says, it's really a, there's a principle behind it. It's mm-hmm. expressed. Yes. Ge- God is not evolved. And so now we're not looking at a different God in, in Deuteronomy than we have in Genesis. Yes. The purpose here in verse, uh, in verse 23, it's, it says there, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And so that's the principle when it comes to the principle of tithing is that's given to us for a reason because we need to learn to fear the Lord our God always. The, the implication there is that either we don't know how to uh, fear the Lord or we don't always know how to fear the Lord. There's something wrong with the human nature that God gives us these principles. The other thing there, that the other element that emerges there is the fact that in these laws that God gave, in these Levitical laws that God gave or these laws in Deuteronomy, there's an element of, of, of God and then there's also an element of freedom. So there's a place that God chooses in verse 25. But then in verse 26, there's also whatever your heart desires. And so here there's this play and interplay between what God instructs his people to do and then also freedom. These laws are very practical, right? If you have so much, if I bless you in such a huge way that you literally can't transport the cows from, from, the, from the United States to Zimbabwe on Delta Airlines, then, then you know what? Just go ahead and cash in the money and bring the cash, right? So these laws are very practical. And then finally it says, you will rejoice. The purpose of God's law at the end of the day is that there is this element of rejoicing. You mm-hmm. reflect back. You've learned to trust God. Trusting God was not an easy thing. There was times when it was hard for you to trust God. But you learned to trust God, and God blessed you. you were able, he was able to make the shot that he said he was going to make. And as a result, you look back and you think, man, God has been good to me, mm-hmm. right? 
God has been super good to me, and there's an element of rejoicing that takes place. And all this, you have to take into context this whole thing, this whole reason why God gives the laws. They're not given to us in the So those are internal factors of why the law was built, but there's also external factors that we see later on in verse 29. Yeah. He mentions that this tithe was used for the Levite, but not only the Levite, uh, but the stranger, the fatherless, the widow who are within your age, that they may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord, may, your God, may bless you all in all the work of your hand. So this is, this, there is the internal components yeah. that you may learn about God, fearing God, yeah. and, and then you, it's a denial of selfishness uh, built into that. Yeah. But that's also, there's an external component. And that's beautiful because the way that we relate to God and what God is doing in us is related to how we relate to other people. Mm -hmm. And in particular to the people who are disadvantaged because he says, the Levite, he has no portion, no inheritance with you. So he's at a disadvantage, a material disadvantage Mm -hmm. by comparison to you. Yes. And when you're giving to God, the way that you give to God is to benefit those people who are materially disadvantaged compared to you. The stranger that's within your gates, they're displaced for displaced people. You have a home, but they're displaced. And so the way that you give to God is by helping those people who do not have a home when you have a home. Yeah. And it, it harkens back to what we had read before about remember that you were a stranger. Remember where you came from, yes, where God brought right. you that's from. Right. And so the realizing who you are in God, the relation, what God has done in your life, ought to bring an awareness of the needs of others around you so that the way that I give back to God is by giving back to the people who have needs around me that God has been helping me with. So I know I'm not wealthy or rich or blessed because of my own doing, but God has done this in me. And in honor to God, I can do this yeah. in the lives of other people. And we can do this through, through for a lot of the laws of the Old Testament. We don't have time to get into the Jubilee. But we can see how justice and mercy is baked in. It benefits the keeper of the law. It benefits the, the society of that law. But Kelly, Kelly, let me ask you, should we keep so, uh, all these laws? And how does that work in, in our day, in the modern day in context? Uh, so we see a young person out there and they're like, man, uh, there's this one law about not, you know, boiling the, the, the calf in his mother's milk. Do we need to keep these things, all of them? Help so us. I think, um, and as, well, the short answer is no. I don't think we need to keep all of them like that guy who kept them for a whole year. And all yeah, yeah, I don't think yeah, we need yeah. to do that. Yep. But I do think we need to keep them in principle Yes. Um, because they're underlying principles of justice and of mercy and of prioritizing service to God and of others. And so those principles are timeless and need yes. to be applied. And I think a lot of those rules came out because people didn't know how to apply principles. So yes. God's like, let me break it down real simple for you so you yeah. understand everything. Yeah. And so even though all those Minutia doesn't apply anymore. The principles still do. So in a way, yes, but also okay. no. So we're talking about the, the, the economic laws, yeah? yeah? I mean, there are also the other moral laws and ceremonial laws, and they, they, they take a different bent. But there's some of these social, societal laws that built in is about the character of God's justice and mercy are built into it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that still needs to be kept by Absolutely. us. Israel. Yeah, the, how do we judge if, we're, if we've had this experience with God, this internal experience that you're saying? Mm-hmm. We simply judge that by how we relate externally, mm-hmm. and that's a test. Mm-hmm. If we don't have these external things with the rest of the world, we don't have an internal relationship mm-hmm. with God. Thanks so much for joining us. We are exploring the concepts of justice and mercy. We're looking at the Old Testament. And next week, we're going to look at different parts of the Old Testament, like the Psalms and Proverbs and the Prophets, and it's going to be a whole potpourri of fun. So join us here next week on Inverse. 
You've been listening to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jared Thomas, Sebastian Braxton, Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by the Hope Channel, television that changes lives. For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag Inverse Bible. Until next time, this is Inverse.